Greetings to you all in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I'm so glad to be here and uh, to see many faces that I have already known and I have been familiar with, and also some new faces that I could get to know today. Um, it's, always, it's always a joy to be in the fellowship of the children of God and to encourage them and to be encouraged in turn. So thank you very much for welcoming us this morning here. And um, I'm sure that our presence here would be a blessing to you. And likewise, you all will be a blessing to our lives too. So thank you very much for uh, this welcome you have given. And I, I, I suppose that I have been given some extra time uh, Ranjan has been especially gracious to me to give this extra time because Viji had written that uh, I would be starting around 12.15, but I've got some extra time. That's really good. Maybe I would be able to share some uh, minutes at the, at the end for some questions and answers if you have any questions about the topic that we are going to talk about today. So if you have any question, please note it down so that... Um, if time permits, we can talk about uh, those questions. <clears throat> I would have spoken about prophecies today if I had not been given a topic. Because there are exciting things to study in prophecies these days, especially after the American President Donald Trump's Jerusalem Declaration. A lot of people have shown a renewed interest in Bible prophecies. But the sad thing is that majority, the majority of Christians do not understand Bible prophecies correctly because they have been taught an eschatology in which Israel has no place. There are two types of eschatology. Majority of the denominations, Christian denominations in the world today, they follow a um, they follow an eschatology in which Israel is kept out. They say that God has forsaken Israel forever. In God's future program, there is no place for Israel. So the churches, the denominations that, for, that follow this eschatology, they don't find anything exciting in whatever is happening in Israel or in America or in Europe. But evangelical Christians, evangelical denominations, they have been correctly, they have correctly understood the Bible prophecy that in God's future program, there is a place for the church and Israel, the nation of Israel, both of them. The church and the nation of Israel, both are in God's program. Israel is not left out, or God is not finished with Israel. So when you understand the Bible from that point of view, you understand that what God is doing today in the Middle East, in America, in Europe, with regarding to the nation of Israel, is all amazingly the fulfillment of Bible prophecies. Recently, I put together a good video to explain. The title is Understanding Bible Prophecies Correctly. Uh, if you go to... YouTube and just type George Johnson prophecy, that video will come up. So just take a look 
and try to understand Bible prophecies correctly so that you can so that you can appreciate what God is doing in the world today. Amazingly, Bible prophecies are getting fulfilled, and we are getting closer, amazingly, to the fulfillment of all the prophecies, and precisely spoken prophecies, not just vague prophecies, precisely spoken. So just um, search for that video, or if you could give me your email address, I'll forward that video to you, and I would be able to forward my future videos or articles that I produce to YouTube. If you want to be in touch, please give me your uh, email address. So, so that would have been my topic today, but Brother Viji has already given me a topic, and I want to honor that. I want to stick to the theme of this theme of the month for this assembly. And I understand your theme is gospel presentation. So Brother Viji has asked me to talk about, speak on gospel presentation, so I'll be uh, talking about that. Now, to present gospel, none of us need any special training. We simply need to tell people what we believe, right? So in most of the situations, we don't need any training. Simply, if someone is open to the gospel, if somebody wants to know more about the gospel or about Jesus Christ, uh, just tell them plainly. And if it is in God's will, God will work in the heart of that person, and the person will come to know, come, will come to the saving knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But there are many times you will be challenged when you present the gospel. So many intellectual questions and doubts will be thrown at you, which you will, be, you will have to deal with, and then you would understand that you would need some training. When you deal with those intellectual questions and uh, arguments and a um, uh, lot of ridicules against Christianity, that is when we need some training to how answer those questions uh, effectively. Uh, recently, I have been in in association with many Muslims, ministering to many Muslims, and I came to know about a lot of questions that they throw at us. And it is very profitable to know the answer to all those questions so that we can effectively tell them that what we believe and what we believe makes sense. Historically, logically, in every way, what we believe, what we believe makes sense to us. So... So most of the talk that I'm going to do today would, will be in that context, what I have learned with, while dealing with Muslim brothers and sisters and the questions that they have asked me. And probably if you ever start dealing with them, you will come across the same questions. So I'll be talking about some of those questions today and giving you some reasonable explanation from the history, from history and the Bible. Now... Before we start sharing the gospel with anybody, we ourselves need to be convinced that what we believe is the truth, right? If we are not convinced, I don't think we will have the motivation to speak to anybody. How can you be convinced? If you believe that Christianity is just one religion among so many religions, 
you will never be motivated to speak because you think, okay, everybody has their own religion and all religions are leading to God. Why should I talk about my religion? Let me be with my religion. Let others be with their religion, right? So you should be actually convinced that what you believe is the truth. If that conviction is not there, it would be very hard for you to find any motivation to speak. So, how is Christianity really different from other religions? There are two reasons I'm going to give you, and just think about those reasons and keep thinking about them or pondering over them, and that will give you more conviction that what you believe is the truth. Both those reasons are related to the founder of Christianity. Two unique reasons to convince others that why Christianity is unique or why Christianity is the true religion. The first, both of them are related with the founder. The first religion is the found, it is the founder of Christianity, Jesus Christ. Sorry, the founder of Christianity, Jesus Christ, is the only person who ever claimed that he is the only way to God. You know, the founders of all other religions, they, they came and claimed that they have come to show the way to God the way they understood it. But Jesus Christ never said that I have come to show the way to God. He said, I am the way. That makes Christianity different from all other religions. Jesus never claimed that I have come to show you a way. He said, I am the way. I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's a pretty exclusive statement. That keeps Lord Jesus, that sets Lord Jesus apart from all other religious leaders. So that's the first point. The founder of Christianity, Jesus Christ, claimed that he is the only way. He never said that he has come to show the way. He said, I am the way. The second thing, the founder of Christianity, Lord Jesus, is the only person who is alive today. You know, all other religious founders are dead and they are buried in their graves. But it is only Lord Jesus Christ who is alive, who came out from his tomb and he's alive. These are the two reasons that makes Christianity unique from all other world religions and sets Christianity apart from all other world religions. So we need to understand this truth and convince ourselves. When we are convinced that Christianity is unique, then you will have the courage, the strength to speak about Christianity. But if you yourselves are not convinced, it would be very hard for us to speak. So remember, Jesus Christ claimed that he is the only way, second, Jesus Christ is the only religious found, the founder of a religion who is alive. Okay, so these are the two uh, exclusive, unique proofs for Christianity that uh, ma- that makes Christianity unique or stand apart from all other world religions. So, with, when with this conviction we go forward and tell people about Jesus Christ. So many confusion, so many questions they throw at us. Now, mostly when you go to Muslims, they would 
tell you the first thing, that Jesus was never crucified. Now, though this comes mainly from Muslims, but because of the Muslim influence in the world today, I think there are many people who are not sure about this. They must have heard this from Muslims. They must, there might be even many non-Muslims who are not really sure about what happened to Lord Jesus at the end. Was he really crucified? Was he not crucified? So this question will be thrown at you. And you know that this is something very fundamental for all of us. The, for the Christians, this is very fundamental. If Jesus was not crucified, then he didn't die. And then if he didn't die, he was not resurrected. Then he did not pay the price for our salvation, for our sins. So the foundation of Christianity is gone. If we are not able to answer this question uh, convincingly and effectively. Right? So how can we answer this when people ask us, uh, when people tell us that Jesus was never crucified. And you know, some Muslims will try to tell you that Jesus actually was crucified, but he did not die on the cross. But you know, you should know one thing, Quran, the Quran never teaches that. The Quran clearly t- says that nor, uh, they, killed him not, they killed him not, nor was he crucified. Okay? This is the actual words in the Quran. They killed him not, nor was he crucified. So the the Quran is very clear that Jesus was not crucified. So if anybody comes to you saying that, no, he was crucified, but he did not die, that's not correct. Ask them, if God God had planned to save Jesus from death, why did he allow to be even crucified? God is uh, merciful, right? God is so strong, powerful, he could have saved Jesus even without going to the cross. So it doesn't make sense to say that he was crucified and then he did not die. God miraculously intervened and uh, took him to heaven. It doesn't make any sense. Either he wasn't crucified or he was crucified. And if he was crucified, he died on the cross. There is nothing in between. So we need to understand this very clearly when Muslims come to us with this argument that yeah, he was crucified, but you know what? He was on the cross for only six hours, and nobody dies in six hours. And uh, people thought that he died. He had only fainted, and he, uh, then God saved him and all that. Right? Those are all nonsense. He wa- the Quran clearly says he was not crucified. So show, him, show them that verse. This is what your Quran says. So don't try to interpret things out of it, just believe what the Quran says clearly, right? It says he was not crucified. That's, that's what Muslims are asked to believe. So there is no middle ground. He was either not crucified or was crucified. If he, if, if he was crucified, then the Bible is correct. And the Bible explains what happened when he was crucified. He died on the cross, right? So there is no middle ground. So we need to remember that first. So, first thing. So, how will we explain? How will we answer to these people when they say Jesus was not crucified? Okay, we need to come to that point first. If someone says no, he was crucified, didn't die, clarify that first and agree on that what Quran says is he was not crucified. So, let's deal with that now. How do we deal with that? There are two ways. First, 
by understanding and explaining that the historical Jesus did was, was crucified. That is the first thing. Understanding and explaining that the historical Jesus was crucified. What do we mean by historical Jesus? Historical Jesus is someone who is recorded in the history. Not someone who developed in traditions. Or not somebody who invented stories about Jesus. Somebody, uh, the Jesus who is recorded in history is the historical Jesus. So we need to know first, understand first, and should be able to convince others that the historical Jesus was crucified. How do we know that? We'll come to that point. Okay? So that is the first thing. The historical Jesus was crucified. The first point that we need to uh, explain. The second point we need to explain is that by the time Quran was written, which was in 7th century AD, Jesus died in the 1st century. 600 years after, the Quran was written 600 year, years after. By that time, so many different versions of Jesus had emerged in traditions. So many different versions of Jesus. There, there was one historical Jesus in the Bible, but there were so many other different versions of Jesus had emerged in the minds of people, in the traditions of people, because people started rationalizing the Jesus. Many people could not accept that he could be the son of God, he could be God, he could die for the sins of the world. So the things that they could not understand about Jesus, they started rationalizing it. So slowly, so many different versions of Je uh, different Jesus appeared, rationalized Jesus, or traditional Jesus, we could name them. So on one side, we have historical Jesus. On the other side, so many different versions of Jesus emerged uh, down through the centuries. And by the time Quran was written in 7th century AD, there were so many different versions of Jesus. So it is very much possible that Quran has taken a lot of ideas about Jesus from the pre-existing traditions. So what I'm, going to, what I'm trying to show you today is not, it, it is not very much possible, but it is what that, that is what happened. We have proofs to prove that the, the historical Jesus and the Quranic Jesus are two versions of Jesus, not to be mixed together. Please try to understand that. When, we, when you watch so many videos about uh, debates between Christians and Muslims, Christians uh, debate on the assumption that we are debating about the same Jesus. But that's a mistake. Okay? The historical Jesus in the Bible and the Quranic Jesus are two different versions of Jesus not to be mixed together. I'll, maybe... Uh, some of you are finding it hard to believe what I'm saying because most Christians do not know that. But I'll give you some proofs about why I believe that. Okay? So, uh, so these are the two things you need to understand and then explain to me. What are the two things? First, the historical Jesus was crucified. First point. The second point is, by the time Quran was written... There were so many different versions of Jesus emerged, and it is possible that some of those versions got into the Quran. 
So let's deal with these two points one by one. The first is the historical Jesus was crucified. Who is the historical Jesus? How do we know about the historical Jesus? The best source to know about the historical Jesus are the four Gospels in the Bible, written by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They are the best historical documents about Jesus. Okay? But you know, when you tell others this, especially when you tell this to the, your Muslim brothers and sisters, they would say, no, but the, the, the Gospels are corrupted. They're all corrupted and uh, they are changed and edited and all that, so we cannot trust that. But the truth is, when you examine the manuscripts of the Gospels, yes, there have been spelling errors, copying errors, and sometimes even some of the quotations of Jesus are found in some uh, odd places, but you will never see in any document, any manuscript, that any story or event about Jesus has been changed. You will never see that. Okay? There are copying errors, spelling errors, that's true. There, the statements of Jesus have been assigned in some, uh, have been assigned in some places which, which originally did not belong to. For example, some statement from Mark may be found in John or, uh, or um, Luke, that kind of thing is there. But when p- the scholars put together all those manuscripts, they can easily identify what the original text was. But never any scholar has seen that any event in the, Bible, in the gospel has been changed about Jesus Christ. Never. Okay? So the, the argument that gospels have been manipulated or uh, edited or changed, they are all wrong. They, they have never been changed. Um, but that's not the point. Okay, the point is this. When you tell them that this is the best historical document, and we know it is the best historical document, they would say, no, it has been edited. Okay, agree, just agree with them on that. So tell them, okay, the four Gospels are not uh, reliable to you, so what we will do is we'll set put aside those four Gospels, and we will check in the secular history to see if there are non-Christian historians who have written anything about Jesus from the 1st and 2nd century AD. Okay? We are keeping the Bible aside now because they, they won't accept it. So search in the secular history from the 1st century when Jesus lived, the 2nd century, 3rd century, for all those centuries. Okay? Now ask this question. Have people written about Jesus outside the Bible? Were there any extra biblical writings about Jesus from his time? When you examine the Bible, we see that Luke says, yes, there have been. I want to read a a portion from Luke's um, gospel. Um, Luke's gospel, chapter 1. Luke's gospel, chapter 1. Okay? Chapter 1, verse 1 to 4, which is the the introduction to Luke's gospel. So Luke says this, Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. 
With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. So what is um, Luke saying? Luke is saying that I'm going to do some good research on all the available material, and I'm going to compile everything into an orderly account. He took two sources for his research. What is the first one? He says, many people have uh, written some accounts about Jesus. So there were written records about Jesus in the first century when Luke was writing his gospel. The second thing he says, he interviewed some eyewitnesses. The people who walked with Jesus, the people who saw Jesus, he interviewed all of them. So that is how Luke compiled his gospel. So Luke's gospel is the most historical gospel, accurate gospel. All gospels are accurate, but most orderly and systematic gospel, Luke's, because he has done a lot of research and put that. But what Luke says is this. Many people have written about Jesus. Many people have written some account about Jesus. So in the days of Luke, there were so many books or so many scrolls written about Jesus. Where are they all? That's the question now. If so many people have written, where are they? We don't have any of them. What happened to them? This is the explanation. Any parchment or any scroll or any book from that old time would survive only if they have been copied and copied and copied generation after generation. Nobody bothered to copy them. You know why? Because Christ, who, would, who would copy them? Only Christians would copy them. Who else would be interested in the story of Jesus? Only Christians. Historians were not interested because they, they didn't care about that, right? They thought this is just another religion. They didn't care. Christians would be interested to copy them, but why didn't Christians copy them? The, the answer is Christians were busy copying these four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You know, today we have more than 20,000 manuscripts of these four Gospels. 20,000 manuscripts in Greek, Latin, and different languages. Manuscripts means what? Handwritten copies. Christians paid attention to copying these four Gospels, so they didn't bother about uh, any other writings from the first century. That's how we lost all of them. We don't have any of them. Okay? But... When you check into the secular history, there, there are some books that have survived, and we have some information of Jesus from those secular history. I'm talking about non-Christian historian, not talking about church fathers. We have so many writings of church fathers from the second century, third century. I'm not talking about them. I'm talking about non-Christian historian who have written about Jesus. There are seven documents we have now survived, seven documents that mention Jesus Christ or mention the birth of Christianity and all that. So I'm going to read the, those seven historians who have written that, and I want uh, you to look at the list. There are, these are the seven historians, non-Christian historians, from the first and the second century AD who mention the name of Jesus or the birth of Christianity and all that. First is Josephus. He lived in the first century, born 37, uh, seven years after the crucifixion of Jesus. 
So he must have known a lot about Jesus. He was a Jewish historian. Tacitus, a Roman historian and senator, he also lived in the first century. He was born in 56 AD. Then Lucian, he was a Greek um, satirist, uh, Greek playwriter. He lived in the second century. Then Mara Bar Serapion, uh, he was a Roman philosopher. Then, then the Talmud, the Jewish books. Then Pliny, he was a Roman governor. Then Suetonius, he was a Roman historian. Okay? These are the seven documents we have, non-Christian, secular documents that we have from the first and the second century AD that talk about Jesus Christ, mention Jesus Christ. And let me give you something important here. The first five, the first five of them clearly mention that Jesus was crucified. Clearly. First five of them. Josephus says he was crucified. Tacitus. Tacitus is the best historian in the Roman history. He writes in his book called Annals, Jesus was crucified during the reign of Pontius Pilate. Then we have the next three, uh, which is Lucian, Mara Bar-Serapion, and the Talmud, the Jewish book. That also talks about Jesus, that he was hanged. So we have five non-Christian sources of historical documents that clearly says that Jesus was crucified. I have no time to read about all of them, Please Google, if you can remember these names or uh, get the names from me later, just Google each of them. For example, Josephus on Jesus, see what comes up. Tacitus on Jesus, see what comes up. Lucian on Jesus, see what comes up. You will be surprised what they have written about Jesus. People do not know these historical facts, and they make up all the story that he was never crucified. Non-Christian historians have written that Jesus was crucified. So now we have three questions to ask people who say Jesus was never crucified. These are the three questions. Listen to that carefully. Three questions. The first question, ask them, how do you explain the fact that five non-Christian secular historians have mentioned the crucifixion of Jesus? How can you ignore or deny that? Nobody can deny it. Only about Josephus, sometimes they can bring up the claim that because the story, the, what Josephus has written is so close to what is found in the Bible, so some people will say that Christians have tampered with his uh, book while, while they were copying it. So Christians have inserted it. Only about Josephus. But there is no proof. They would say that a, a Jewish historian cannot write so favorably about Jesus. So one argue, okay, they agree. But what about Tacitus? Tacitus has written so, many, so much against Jesus, ridiculing him. That, must, that cannot have come from Christians. Lucians, Lucian have ridiculed Jesus. That must, could not have come from uh, Christians. But still they all said that he was crucified. He was killed. They ridiculed Jesus that he was killed for uh, teaching Uh, creating violence or teaching nonsense, he was killed. They all have written that. So check on Google if you can and find out what is written. So the first question to ask people is this, those who say Jesus was not crucified. First question, 
how do you explain the fact that there are five we are, we have testimonies from five non-christian historians about the crucifixion of jesus first question the second question how do you explain the fact there is no historian in history who have denied the death of jesus or denied the crucifixion of jesus from the first century or second century or any century you know what when christianity was spreading christianity had so many enemies people tried to suppress christianity in all different ways what could have been the best way just find some proof find uh, do some research and write a good uh, scholarly article that he was never crucified christianity would have ended but you know what nobody has written any such thing so ask the second question how do you explain the fact that no historian have ever denied the crucifixion of jesus you know wherever christianity was preached nobody ever questioned the crucifixion of jesus though some people were suspicious about the resurrection some people laughed at the resurrection but nobody ever questioned the crucifixion that proves that jesus was crucified the third and most powerful question is this ask them if jesus had not been crucified in jerusalem how do you explain the birth of christianity in jerusalem that's the most powerful question no one can answer understand this on the day of pentecost peter stood up and preached to the jews that you killed jesus and you know how many people uh, were saved that day 3000 if jesus was not crucified how could that happen people would say what are you talking about which jesus are you talking about he was not crucified that would be, that would have been the end of christianity you understand that so this third question is the most powerful question ask anybody who comes to you say jesus was not crucified ask them can you explain the birth of christianity in jerusalem where jesus where the disciples claim that jesus was crucified and rose again this is the most powerful this most powerful question and this is a proof that jesus was actually crucified he was actually buried he came back to life and the empty tomb was there so my dear believers my brothers and sisters we don't be- believe in made up stories we believe in historical facts christianity is based on historical facts truth the only truth the world is misguided deceived by satan satan doesn't want people to believe in the only truth that god became man and he died for our sins that's the truth that's the only truth okay so these facts will help you to strengthen your own faith first that what we believe in is not just a story it is our belief is based on historical facts and then you will be charged you will be full of enthusiasm to share the story of jesus to others because you know the now that that's the truth okay so we have dealt with that first question the first um, statement the first statement was when when someone comes to us and say that jesus was never crucified our first statement was the historical jesus was crucified and we proved that 
not using the Bible. We did not have to use the Bible because the Bible is corrupted for many people. We proved that using the, the, the historical documents from the secular history and three logical questions. Okay? Remember, those are the two tools. These secular, secular historians say that Jesus was crucified and then ask these three logical questions. That is enough. Nobody can refute you. Nobody will stand against you. You will win that argument. But our purpose is not to win the argument. You know that, right? Our purpose is to convince people and bring them to the saving faith into Lord Jesus Christ. Now we are coming to the second statement. The second statement was that by the time the Quran was written in the 7th century AD, there were many versions of Jesus emerged in traditions. Okay, so first let's try to understand how that happened, what actually happened. Um, you know, when people started believing in Christianity in the first century, there were some Christians who were influenced by Greek philosophy. Try to understand this. Some Christians who were influenced by Greek philosophy, those Christians were called Hellenistic Christians. And the Bible says, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul says, Greek, look for, does anybody remember that verse? Wisdom. Greek, look for wisdom. So these Hellenist, Hellenistic Christians, Greek Christians, started to understand, tried to understand Jesus by wisdom, or by logic. And some of the things did not fit in their logic. You know what were two things did not fit in their logic? The first thing, that Jesus could be God. That's against human logic. And the second thing that did not fit in their logic was, Jesus could die for the sins of the world. So these people, when they started to rationalize the beliefs about Jesus, they found it very difficult to believe in the Jesus that the disciples were preaching. And disciples were preaching what? Disciples were preaching that he was God. He became like one of us. He died for our sins. And why, why were disciples preaching that? Because they walked with Jesus. They knew the right, correct Jesus. They knew the person. They knew everything happened in his life. But these Greek Christians, some of them could not believe that. And then they started teaching their own version of Jesus, which the disciples could not agree with. There was a conflict between two groups, and this new group had to move away from Christianity. And because these people were wisdom-seeking Christians, they started teaching that to be saved, you need to have a higher level of wisdom or knowledge. And since they were giving so much importance to knowledge, they came to be known as Gnostic Christians. The Greek word for knowledge is gnosis. So from that the word came Gnostic Christians. So from the beginning of Christianity, uh, like maybe after 100 years after Christianity began, a group went out of Christians, out from Christians, 
and they started teaching about a new, different version of Jesus. And they were called Gnostic Christians because they valued wisdom, knowledge more. Just like Paul said, Greek, look for wisdom. And they come up with a new version of Jesus. And this happened while, while, while the last disciple of Jesus, John, was still alive. You know, he was the, the last surviving disciple. He was still alive. And he wrote about this, like this. Uh, First John, uh, let me read that. Uh, the first uh, epistle of First Epistle of John, chapter 2, verse 19, he says this. Um, they went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us, but their going showed that none of them belonged to us. You know, this wisdom-seeking Christians, when they walked out, John was brokenhearted, the last disciple of Jesus. He could, he, he could not agree with them. Because John had known Jesus, historical Jesus. And he knew that these Christians were talking nonsense. He could not agree with them. So John says, they went from us, but they did not belong to us. If they had belonged to us, they would have stayed with us. And John uses some harsh words for them in his epistle. Liars, deceivers, false prophets, antichrists. Antichrist mean what? Someone who is against the real Christ. So these people started teaching uh, a different Jesus. Now, from there, things started getting worse. From this new group, so many different groups emerged, and they all had their own versions of Jesus. And they all were called Gnostic Christians, though they were not Christians. Simply, they believed in a different version of Jesus. They were called Christians. And they all started writing their own books. And we have today, how many Gnostic Gospels available? Does anybody know? 52 of them. 52 Gnostic Gospels, all with some pseudo-names. Some Gospels of Thomas, Gospel of Jude. The name of the, the apostles, so that their work should, may look like genuine. So we have 52 Gnostic Gospels available today that talks about what they believed about this Jesus. And one of them, there was a, um, most of them denied that Jesus was God. Okay? In, in that thing, they all were all agreed. They all agreed. But some of them believed he died. Some of them did not know what happened. But one Gnostic teacher called Basilides in the second century wrote a, gospel, a book called The Gospel of Basilides. In that first time he wrote, Jesus was not crucified. So remember this. Quran is not the first book which claimed that. When Quran, when Muslims say, oh, it was revealed by Allah. No. That was already there in the second century. Basilides. Let me... Um, Read that to you, what Basilides wrote in the 2nd century A.D., in uh, A.D. Uh, 117. Okay, he wrote this. He appeared on earth as a man and performed miracles, 
Thus he himself did not suffer. Rather, a certain Simon of Cyrene was compelled to carry his cross for him. It was he who was ignorantly and erroneously crucified, being transfigured by him, so that he might be thought to be Jesus. Moreover, Jesus assumed the form of Simon and stood by laughing at them. You see that? It was written in the second century. Google uh, on Wikipedia and other encyclopedia and find out. This is all there. So if the Muslims tell you, oh, it was Allah, God, who revealed that Jesus was never crucified. No. It is all in Gnostic Gospels. These heretic people who were kicked out from the church by the true disciples of Jesus. Because the true disciples of Jesus knew who the historical Jesus was. These people did not know anything about the historical Jesus. They made up stories. Okay? So this is how it got so worse. By the time, of, by the time when the Quran was written in, 87, um, in the 7th century, there were so many different versions of Jesus. And it is very likely that Muhammad got confused with all these different versions, so he took some from here, some from there, and he put that in the Quran. Now, are we saying that the Quran is wrong? No. I'm not trying to prove that the Quran is wrong, but I'm saying Quran is right. Quran is right in describing a particular version of Jesus, which is not the historical Jesus. The Quran is not wrong. Quran has taken the right information from the pre-existing sources and put in the Quran. So don't think I'm talking, I'm trying to prove Quran wrong. Quran is not wrong. Muhammad um, sincerely, honestly wrote what he understood. Okay, but the only problem is what he wrote, who he wrote about is not the historical Jesus. The historical Jesus is found in the Bible. Now, do I have proof to say that? Because you wouldn't, you wouldn't see this, the talk that I'm giving anywhere on the internet or YouTube, nowhere. But I'm going to publish it very soon. Because this all came from my own study. No, some people have suggested that the Jesus in the Bible and the Quran are different, but they have never, never given any proof. But he, here are the proofs. Let me quickly go through that, and then I'll stop. Uh, the first proof, by the time Quran was written, 7th century, there existed several versions of Jesus. So, we have, there is a good possibility that Muhammad took those ideas from the pre-existing traditions. That's the first argument. The second argument is, this is not only a possibility, rather we have proofs that he has taken material from the pre-existing uh, Gnostic Gospels. What proof do we have? I'm going to give you two proofs, at least, or three. The first, Quran says, Jesus spoke in the cradle. Have you heard that? When Jesus was a baby in the cradle, he spoke. What did he speak? When uh, people came and accused Mary, asking Mary, where did you get this child? You are, you are not married, or you don't have a husband. Where did you get this child? Jesus spoke from the cradle, defending his mom. That is in the Quran. And you know where that has come from? That has come from a Gnostic gospel called the infancy gospel of Thomas. 
So you have the proof. That was not the first time revealed by Allah. It was already there. The second thing. Quran says that Jesus made a bird with clay and gave life to it and the bird flew away. Where did that come from? That is also from the infancy gospel of Thomas. A Gnostic gospel. The third, Quran says Jesus was never crucified. Where did that come from? The gospel of Basilates. Second century gospel who first said that Jesus was not crucified. So we have the proof to prove that the material from the pre-existing traditions were taken in the Quran. So, and that was that, that was written six hundred years after the birth of, after the death of Jesus. So, it is very much possible that those things are not historical. Now, third, third proof. Now, I'll finish. Almost time is getting to close. The third proof is. The biblical Jesus and the Quranic Jesus are so much different. Though Muslims and some Christians try to say, oh, we believe in Jesus, the same Jesus, right? You you believe in Jesus, we believe in him, we are all worshipping the same God. But you know what? I'm going to tell you something surprising. There are only two things similar about Jesus in the Bible and the Quran. The first event in the life of Jesus and the last event in the life of Jesus. Everything in between is different. So can you believe that? Would you still say that it is the same Jesus in the Bible and the Quran? Everything in between is different. What are those two things? First event and the last event. The first event is the conception. Miraculous conception of Jesus. Jesus was conceived without any uh, human intervention of a father. The Quran says too. We agree. Quran, Bible and Quran agree. The last event, the ascension. Jesus was taken up to heaven. Quran and the Bible agree. Okay? Those are the two things we agree. The first event, the last event. In between, everything is different. You want to hear a few examples? Let me quickly go through. First, Quran says the mother of Jesus, Mary, was the sister of Moses. Can you believe that? Historically speaking, how many years gap between both of them? Almost 1,500 years gap. Moses lived when? When Pharaoh was there. And Mary lived in the, in the, in, in the first century. AD. But the Quran says Mary was the brother of Moses. You know how this mistake could have come in the Quran? There's an easy explanation. What was the, na- what was the name of the sister of Moses, Miriam. You know that? And what is the, the, the Arabic name for, uh, for Mary, Maryam? Muhammad easily got confused. Okay? We cannot blame him. Miriam and Maryam sounds the same. So he thought this Maryam, Mary is the sister of Moses. One thing. Second thing, Quran says, Mary gave birth to Jesus under a palm tree. Not the same Jesus of the Bible. Third, Quran says Jesus spoke in the cradle, defended Mary. We never see in the Bible Jesus defending Mary for anything. And never he spoke in the cradle. So not the same Jesus. Two different versions. Third, fourth, 
The Quran says he made some uh, made a bird from clay and gave life. That was his first sign when he was a boy, a child, to impress someone or something. I don't know what. But the Bible says the historical Jesus, his first sign was, first miracle was, does anybody remember? In the marriage of Cana. Yes, when he turned water into wine. So not the same Jesus, different. Historical Jesus, his first sign was when he, when he was adult, 30 years old. He did not do any miracle before that. But Quranic Jesus, doing miracle in the childhood. Next difference, Histor- historical Jesus was God. That is something that people have trouble understanding. John says, in the beginning there was word. Word was with God. Word was God. And word became flesh. What does that mean? God became flesh. The historical Jesus. But the Quranic Jesus is simply a man. Not the same Jesus. The historical Jesus was crucified, died, and rose again. The Quranic Jesus was never crucified. So these are all the differences. Only the first event and the last event, conception and, um, and the ascension. We agree, but we don't agree on anything else. So it's a clear proof that uh, we have two different versions of Jesus in the Bible and in the Quran. The last proof, let me tell you, there's not even one verse in the Quran that you can use to connect the Quranic Jesus to any place or period in history. Not even one verse. Based on the Quran, you can never say when Jesus lived or where he lived. That's a clear indication that he is not the historical Jesus. But look at the Bible. You have all clear description about where about the place of his birth, where he grew, where he ministered, where he died, where he resurrected, where he went to heaven from. Clear description about the historical Jesus in the Bible. And also clear mention about some historical figures of that time. Uh, Augustus Caesar, the Roman emperor, in whose time Jesus was born. Tiberius Caesar, Roman emperor, in whose time Jesus was crucified. Roman governor Pilate, in whose time he was executed. So that tells us, that connects Jesus to a period in history, the first century AD. So that is the Jesus in the Bible, the historical Jesus, who was crucified, who died for the sins of the world. But we have a different version of Jesus in the Quran. Sadly, most people don't understand this. Many people don't understand this. Many people, for the name, for the sake of um, friendship and all that, ignore this and say, oh, we, we believe in the same Jesus. No, it's not. We're not talking against the Quran. We're not talking against Muslim brothers or sisters. We are simply telling them that by the time Quran was written, there were several different versions of Jesus. And there are clear proof that some of that information has come into the Quran. So where is the true historical Jesus? In the Bible. Lead them to the Bible. The four Gospels. That's the true historical documents about the life and death of Jesus. By believing in that, you will be saved. 
John wrote at the end of his gospel. I wrote these things so that you believe in the name of the Son of God and by believing you may have life. By believing in the Jesus in the Bible, you will have life. But by believing in the, the Jesus in the Quran, you may get some information, but no life. That's the difference. So uh, I'll stop here. I do not want to go any further. And um, it looks like I took most of the time, and I do not have any time for question answer. I don't think so. But if you have any question, you can definitely contact me after this, and I would be able to answer your questions. I would be able to give you more information. So may God bless you all. Thank you for patiently listening to this. I know that this was hard stuff. This is not the easiest stuff that you hear every Sunday. Uh, I was thinking, I was afraid that probably half of the congregation will fall asleep, but that didn't happen. Thank you that God gave you, uh, and also I thank God that he gave you the strength and wisdom to listen to, pay attention to, understand this important, vital truths about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. May his name be glorified. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, thank you, God, that we were able to understand the true Jesus, the true historical Jesus from the Bible and from the history. God, we are really sad to see that the world is deceived today. Oh, they cannot understand the truth. And even if we tell them the truth, they resist the truth. And we know who is working in them. Who We know who is trying to blind them. God, we pray for these people. We pray for many of the Muslim brothers and sisters who have heard the gospel from all of us in many, many different times. That you open their hearts. Help them to understand and see who the true historical Jesus was and what he has done for them. And help them to understand and see that the Bible is the true record of the life of Jesus. And just by believing in the true Jesus, they can have life. So we pray for those people who haven't believed in you yet, and they come in our contacts. We tell them the gospel. Next time when we talk to them, open their hearts so that they believe in you and they get the life that is available in you. Thank you for the time that you gave us. Thank you for this congregation. Thank you for this church. God, use them abundantly in the coming days. Use them for your glory. You have already been using them. Many marvelous things uh, we have heard about this assembly. Many things, many ministries going on. We pray, God, that you bless all those ministries. You bless every leader in this church who are giving leadership in various areas. We pray for all of them. Bless them abundantly, God. We are again going to spend some time in fellowship. Bless us. Bless our time together. We give you all glory. Thank you for all your blessings. In the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus, I pray. Amen.